All right. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas to everybody. Um, hope you have a great Christmas uh, day planned. We got it. We got our white Christmas. And so um, I, I, how many people were betting that we wouldn't get it? Anybody? Because it's kind of warm, right? But we got it. And so it's great. And please enjoy that. You know, make sure to not only uh, enjoy your family, but get out there and throw some snowballs and make some snowmen and some great memories. So um, it's going to be a great Christmas and um, hope you're able to celebrate it with family and friends if you are in town. Um, my name is Rollin, if I don't know you yet, and I'm, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my joy to share this uh, Christmas message with you. Um, what I wanted to highlight, though, before I forget, is that uh, over the Christmas season, um, obviously we exchange a whole lot of gifts and um, receive a whole lot of presents, and what we did last year going into the Christmas season is we had a clothing drive uh, for some of the needy uh, within the city. Um, there are several ministries that we try to partner with um, in the city of Chicago um, to minister to uh, those less fortunate, um, but you know, when we thought about it, we th I thought about the fact that even over the Christmas break, what I get every year for Christmas, because people ask me from, um, from family members and the like, uh, what would you like for Christmas? I'm always like, just clothes, just, just give me clothes. And um, I always have clothes that I'm trying to get rid of as well. And so if you happen to um, get an abundance of clothes that you want to exchange out, we're going to have a clothing drive into the new year, okay? So that as you're donning your new garbs, <laughs> you know, enjoying all of that, we can also pass on um, what might be a blessing to those in need going into the new year. So uh, 2018, uh, just to seed it into us right now, is going to be marked by a clothing drive. And uh, if you uh, are going to be visiting home and want to go through your closet, do some early spring cleaning, uh, that'll be a way to show the love of Christ to our community as well, um, even as we come back, okay? So just wanted to seed that into, um, into you now. So uh, as far as our message today, I'm going to um, try to uh, keep it brief because we have our children with us uh, today. This is um, what we're going to do for the next two weeks as far as our Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve services are concerned. But today I wanted to uh, finish the Fulfilled series that we have. And what we've been doing is we've been going through the Old Testament prophecies of Jesus Christ and the Messiah who was coming and really explaining how uh, not only were they fulfilled in the person of Jesus, uh, but they were also fulfilled fulfilling by God's design the deepest seated desires and needs in each of our hearts. And so we went through uh, several messages describing uh, different things that uh, Cole summarized last week. Um, but today what we're going to end with is reasons to rejoice, reasons to rejoice. God has given us and fulfilled in us in Jesus Christ several reasons to rejoice. And so because of that, we're going to uh, go to familiar Christmas scriptures, but maybe one that's not as familiar as we begin today. So let's pray. Um, Father, we thank you so much for your good word to us. We thank you that through your uh, message of the gospel, uh, Jesus' birth, his sinless life, his death, and his resurrection from the dead, you've given us ample reason to rejoice in this season. So God, we focus on you uh, during this time, and we're asking that you would help us to uh, leave with a heart full of gratitude, full of thankfulness, and full of the joy that you've given us in the Holy Spirit through Jesus, your Son. Amen. Okay, so today um, we're going to start with this. Um, Benjamin Franklin, if you've uh, ever uh, uh, been a just if you've gone to school, okay, you've obviously heard much of Benjamin Franklin and his writings. And one of the things that he said um, in regards to Christmas was how many observe Christ's birthday, how few, however, his precepts. 
how many observe Christ's birthday, but how few actually observe his precepts. And what we've been trying to do in the Fulfilled series is really express our contention that people would find motivation to follow Christ and his precepts when they understand all of the reasons that he's given us to rejoice. And so today's prophecy, we're going to start with the prophecy and the fulfillment. Um, The prophecy that was fulfilled in Christ today we're going to um, look at is in Zephaniah chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Um, If you do not have a Bible, the scripture will be on the screen for you. Um, But Zephaniah, just to give you a little background, was an Old Testament prophet. And he was a prophet who was of the kingly line of a good king in the Old Testament named Hezekiah. And so you see that a lot of the prophets often were linking their lineage to what has happened in the history of the Jewish people as they were waiting for the Messiah. And he had his royal line um, linked to the Judaic um, kingship of Jesus through Hezekiah. And he was prophesying, saying this, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel. Now that's just jubilant in and of itself, right? Most people come to church waiting to be quiet and waiting to meditate and have quiet moments with God, but the prophet's declaring something different here. He's like, listen, sing aloud and shout because you've got something to shout about, right? We all go to baseball games, football games, hockey games, right? We're a sports city, and the thing about it is is that when something good is happening, you shout. You know what I mean? When something good is happening, you're rejoicing, and how much more so when we're talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords his birth. He says, shout and rejoice, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away judgments against you. Here we have the gospel right up front. The Lord has taken away judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. So not only does God command us to rejoice, but then he says, hey, listen, I'm rejoicing over my people as well. Isn't that good news? That God himself, the good father, enjoys his children. He enjoys his people. And even in his character, in his nature, he's rejoicing as well. I will gather those of you, he says, who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors And I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time, when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord." And so all of a sudden, we know that the God of heaven and earth was giving good news to the people. In fact, whenever we're talking about the gospel, that's literally what the word means. It means good news to the people to whom it comes. And whenever we're in the Christmas season, we're looking for the fulfillment of these things, but we're asking the question, what reasons has he given us to rejoice? And at least two things practically exist from this scripture and this prophecy. God has given us reconciliation with himself 
himself, and then God has given reconciliation to humanity with one another. All through the gospel of his son who would be born during this Christmas season. We see it very clearly in the fulfillment of his word. These familiar Christmas scriptures about the um, birth of Jesus Christ. We know first of all in Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 25. It talks about Joseph getting the word. Everybody remember that Joseph got the word that Jesus was going to be born to the Virgin Mary. And obviously just as we would be he was a little bit skeptical at first about that announcement. He wanted to divorce Mary quietly saying, you know what? I pledged myself to you. Um, I'm sorry to you. You were unfaithful to me. I'm going to be a righteous man and put you away quietly. But then he got a visitation and God said, do not be afraid to take her home as your wife because this, um, this baby who's to be born is of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has overshadowed her and this Jesus who is going to be born is going to be the savior of all the world. I'm giving you reasons to rejoice, even in the midst of your confusion, even in the midst of that which would bring reproach and shame for a little while to the family and in the community in which you find yourself, I'm telling you, I'm giving you reasons to rejoice. And in fact, it's going to be a fulfillment of the word that I've given through Zephaniah because he's going to be named Emmanuel. Emmanuel, this child to be born is going to be named Emmanuel, which is God with us. This child to be born is going to be God with us. And that is exactly what Zephaniah promised. He said the Lord God Almighty would be in our midst. So God has come in our midst as Emmanuel. He's shown himself mighty to save, making a way for us to be brought back into friendship with himself through the birth sinless life, sacrificial death on the cross, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This was all spoken of in fulfillment whenever Matthew was speaking of Christ's birth. But Luke goes a little bit deeper. Luke goes a little bit deeper in terms of the fulfillment that came in Zephaniah. And this is a scripture that we referred to a couple of weeks ago where God arranges and designs even the affairs of human history to fulfill his word. And he says that even though these people who were in charge of the Roman Empire during that time weren't considering trying to fulfill the word of God to his people. They were instruments in his hand to fulfill where Christ would be born in Bethlehem, when he would be born, and how he would come as a fulfillment to the word that came through Malachi, saying from Bethlehem this Messiah would come. And so we see in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21, the fulfillment of this reconciliation story continuing. It's says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up to get from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, 
For behold, I bring you good news. Once again, the gospel, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased." When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds saw, um, said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. So we see very practically that when the Annunciation came, there was a fulfillment of great joy. There was a fulfillment of great praise and adulation that came to God because of a fulfillment of the promise. Not only were they able to find him according to the word of the Lord, this prophetic word being fulfilled in Bethlehem that Jesus had come, but the point of who the Annunciation came to was also a significant thing. Not only would he be known as Jesus, who would come to save the people from their sins culturally and contextually you need to understand to whom the annunciation came though we know that in the old testament that shepherds were a part of the people of god during the old testament times we know that abraham isaac and jacob during that family line the patriarchs of the faith they were nomadic and so by nature they were they were uh, shepherds as as part of their trade by the time you get to new testament times they weren't esteemed as they were during the time of the patriarchs the shepherds in fact were people who were seen as people on the outside of the community. They were the outcasts. They were the people that those who in an agricultural society um, were, who were trying to raise crops and have their economy come from the protection of the food that the shepherd's flocks would eat, they were the ones that the people wanted outside, on the outskirts of the society. But God said, I'm not just coming to those who are on in a part of the in crowd. I'm coming according to the word of Zephaniah to the outcast. I'm coming to the one who might otherwise be forgotten about. I'm coming to the one who might not see himself or herself as part of God's design or his plan, but God's saying, I'm coming to you to bring great joy to you. And it's not just going to be to you. It's going to be for all the people. So we see that the shepherds getting and receiving the word, and even later Jesus talking himself about being the good shepherd was reorienting the nature of that position within society. He was saying, once again, I'm not just looking to the strong and the mighty. Once again, I'm not just looking to those who have it all together. I'm coming to those who are lowly in spirit. I'm coming to the outcasts and I'm bringing good news of great joy for all people. And so he comes and receives this. But what he does is he says, I'm coming and bringing salvation to you so you can be reconciled to God. That's good news and cause for rejoicing in and of itself. But what we also see is through coming to the shepherds, he's also bringing the good news of humanity being reconciled to one another. 
A lot of times we think about the Christmas season and being with family members and friends, and that can be a joyous thing. But for some people, it can be a challenging thing, right? You come into family situations, and you don't always see eye to eye. You don't always have a history that's clean and smooth. But the good news is, is that through the gospel, he says, by looking to Christ, I'm giving you good news. So not only can you be reconciled to me, but you can be reconciled to one another as well. And through a community of focused worship, this is what the shepherds are telling us, you can have the peace that he's trying to bring to all men. What did the shepherds know that we should realize today? We should realize that joy has come because God has brought the purest means of reconciliation to humanity through a refocus on the worship of his son, through which we are transformed into Christ's image and filled with love, peace, and inexpressible joy. What that means is, is previously I was unable to get along with God because of the sin that was in my heart. I was a slave to sin, bound to rebellious desire desires that drove me. But Jesus came in his birth, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection to set me free. And then I also not only had sin towards God that was separating me from God, but the sin in my heart caused problems with me and other people, whether they be family members, friends, or co-workers. But through the gospel, he's also set me free from those things that are going to cause damage and death to the relationships that I even hold so dear. And that gives me joy too, because looking to him, I'm set free into that inexpressible joy. Pope John Paul II second, summarize the joy that we have in Christ this way. And yes, we live in a Catholic city, so I'm going to recognize the Pope. He said this, he said this, he says, it is Jesus that you seek when you dream of happiness. He is waiting for you when nothing else you find satisfies you. He is the beauty to which you are so attracted. It is he who provoked you with that thirst for fullness that will not let you settle for compromise. It is he who urges you to shed the masks of a false life. It is he who reads in your heart your most genuine choices, the choices that others try to stifle. It is Jesus who stirs in you the desire to do something great with your lives, the will to follow an ideal, the refusal to allow yourselves to be ground down by mediocrity, the courage to commit yourselves humbly and patiently to improving yourselves and society, making the world more human and more fraternal. It's Jesus that actually when we focus on him and look to him enables us to do these things. Part of the joy that comes is that he gives us the actual power to live this way. It becomes not just an ideal, but it's, he said, the kingdom of God is not just about talk, but it's about power to live this way. And when Jesus said, I've come to save you from your sins, it's not just from the penalty of sin, it's from the power of sin. And the power of sin is we're delivered from it in our life so that we can actually go enjoy living in what we were meant to live in. That's good news, right? When you always feel stuck, when you always feel like I should be a different person or live a different way, but I'm beating myself up because I'm less than who I know I need to be. That's not good news. But the gospel comes through the cross of Jesus and sets us free, saving us from our sins. He's mighty to save and enables us to be these people. 
the very people that a utopian society is aspiring to. It's only the image of God in a, in a shadow form that they're trying to describe or they're trying to appeal to. And this is what we have represented in the birth of Christ. But we do it not just through looking to Christ. We do it in connecting with one another. He says reconciliation with me should bring great joy. Reconciliation with one another. Not doing it on your own any longer. Linking arms and lives with the people around you who are also looking to Christ. That the joy like that was, that was delivered to the shepherds might be spread through the community. The shepherds encountered Christ and celebrated him together as a model of Christ-centered community worship. For the generations to come, God both announces the revelation of his son and then evokes ongoing worship in the community of believers, giving outlet to his serv- to service to Jesus. You see that the, he announced it to a group and then as they received the message, they went as a group to, re- to acknowledge and also worship with Jesus together. It wasn't an individual thing. And then after they saw Jesus and were able to bow down before him and experience him, they went out together again, spreading the good news of the great joy to all the people. It was continually in community. What people are longing for is a community of purpose, a community of change, where they can say together, not only do I have a joy that I'm able to experience individually, but I'm able to share it with the people who surround me and with whom I'm doing life. And together we can go out and spread the good news of great joy because it's not just for us, it's for all the people. And so he says, I'm reconciling you to me, but then I'm reconciling you to one another and giving you a common purpose. This is what the shepherds exemplified. He says, worship me, be transformed into my image, and then be reconciled to one another to go out and spread that joy. That's what we're inviting people into, right? He says, the world will know that you're my disciples. Why? Because you love one another that there's actually a joy amongst you, that there's actually a liberty amongst you that's not experienced in the world around you. He said, Red Rover, Red Rover, bring your family and friends right over. Why? Because there's joy in the camp, and he's trying to spread it to the world. Now, the question is, how do I walk this devotion out to Christ in the community? He says, you do it in a devoted community of believers in which you continually reaffirm What's the purpose? Not just of a Sunday morning, not just of a church once in a while, but all throughout the week. What's the purpose of worship together? You're reaffirming in a devoted community the truths of the denunciation, and you're refreshing the joy of your salvation on a daily basis, waiting for and helping to speed not the first, but the second advent of Christ. Not the first, but the second advent of Christ. Meaning that sometimes as life hits us, even though we receive the good news of great joy that's for all the people, life hits us and it seems that the joy that we have can be muffled. Has anybody experienced that before? Knowing it intellectually, but the circumstances of life try to dampen the joy that should be exuding from our hearts. But that's the good news of the community. We're like coals of fire that stoke one another and push one another and remind each other of the joy of our salvation, right? Isn't it good news when you have a brother or a sister who can say, hey, listen, it's not that bad. 
Why? Because it might be a difficulty that you're facing physically or emotionally or relationally or financially in a moment. But let's look to the truths of His Word again together. And there we can recapture the joy that He previously announced to us. Right? That's the purpose of the community coming together. And then whenever you're reminded of it, it reignites or reinvigorates the strength that you have to go out and share together. It's what Jesus said whenever He said, hey, listen, stop worrying about when I'm going to come back, right? All of the new, um, what the news inquire, what are those magazines on the, the shelves, the news inquire or the, the tabloids? Yeah, the tabloids talking about when Jesus is coming back and everything. He said, stop worrying about when I'm going to come back. Just do business until I come. Just spread this joy until I come. Matthew 24, he said, this good news This gospel of the kingdom will go to all the nations and then the end will come. The end will come when the good news that I've previously announced to you spreads to everybody. Everybody's gotten an opportunity to hear it. Every tribe, every language, every nation, every tongue. And then he says, the end will come. But you do it not on your own. You spread it in the community that I've given you. Now, for those disconnected from the body of Christ, because we have plenty of those who are faithful week after week, but then there are others who come because it's tradition to come only at Christmas or only at Easter, right? I had a pastor before who used to talk about the CEO Christians, Christmas, Easter only, right? They're like the leaders of the faith. And the point is, is that he says, if you've been one of these people, for those disconnected, his, um, his church is still here and you can repent and believe the good news today. You can commit to the family of believers through the joy of ongoing participation. For those already involved, you can deepen the joy of your salvation by recognizing His saving work, not only in your life, but those of your brothers and sisters throughout the world, right? Sometimes when I think that my life is sort of under it, I look and I rejoice because of what He's doing in other people's lives. You you know what I'm saying? There's always a joy to be had because even if I'm struggling in a moment, I can look at what God's doing doing in my brothers or sisters lives and when he tells me rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn if i'm mourning i've got something to rejoice about because of what's going on with you right and conversely if you're mourning guess what if i'm do you ever notice that especially if you're married you ever find yourself like being balanced by your spouse it's sort of like when you're doing well they might need a little pick me up And thank God that whenever you're going through something, they can actually be the one to swoop in and say, hey, listen, everything's going to be all right. Get out of bed. (laughs) You know, go to work. We're going to be good, right? That's part of what the body of Christ does at the same time too, right? He says, listen, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, and spread that good news together. That's why he said, in this community, be reconciled together. Spread the joy together. Remind one another of the joy together. Luke 2, 10 through 11, we just read it. He said again, the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. G.K. Chesterton, he was actually a man who was instrumental in leading C.S. Lewis to Christ. He actually wrote a book called The Eternal Man. C.S. Lewis wrote it, had many influences in his life, and uh, it was part of what helped him in apologetics. When we were talking about the apologetics um, Bible study or community group that's going to be starting, it's, it's not just to answer questions, but if you are a believer, it's to strengthen your faith. 
to strengthen your faith so you know why you believe and could give a reason for the hope that you have, right? And he was one of these people who did that for the community. But he said, Christmas is built upon a beautiful and intentional paradox that the birth of the homeless, meaning Jesus having to find room in the inn, should be celebrated in every home. That the birth of the homeless should be celebrated in every home. That Jesus came in humility and that his prophetic message of his coming was declared by one who was from a kingly line, but he said, I'm coming for all the people. It's not just for the high, but it's for the low. It's not just for the disenfranchised. This good news is for those who think they have it all together, but have only been trying to prop themselves up because we all are broken. We're all sinners and we need his salvation. And he says, I'm coming to give it to every man, woman, and child. Going on, he says again in Luke 12, 12 through 14, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel and a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Relationship with one another is practically expressed this way in worship of God, in friendship, in joys, and in sorrows, in giving and in receiving, in lifelong devotion together to the purpose and salvation of God exemplified by all that surrounded Christ's birth. Not only that which was prophesied, but that which the shepherds experienced and that which they typified for us today. He says, be like the shepherds. Go and experience Christ together. And when you experience and worship him, then go out in joy and tell the world. That's why he says, just summarizing in Zephaniah, going back to that original prophecy, at that time, verse 20, I will bring you in. And at that, the time when I gather you together. So it's not like our modern spirituality where people just see it as an individual thing. He says, at that time when I gather you in, plural, and at that time when I gather you together, I'm going to bring you together. I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. And Lord knows he did that with the shepherds turning upside down even the picture that they had towards shepherds during that time. They were seen as the outcasts. They were seen as the lowly. They were seen as the thieves. They were seen as the debased. But now, whenever we reference Jesus, one of the most endearing pictures that we have of Jesus is as our good shepherd, right? He says, I'm bringing you together, and I'm going to reorient how you see me. I'm going to reorient how you see one another. I'm going to reconcile you to me. I'm going to reconcile you to one another, and together I'm going to give you purpose. That's why a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, last quote, said this, Christ, in his coming, became our brother in order to help us. Through him, our brother has become Christ for us in the power and authority of the commission Christ has given him. Our brother stands before us the sign of the truth and the grace of God. He has been given to us to help us. He hears the confession of our sins in Christ's stead and he forgives our sins in Christ's name. He keeps the secret of our confession as God keeps it. When I go to my brother to confess, 
I'm going to God. He's not saying that your brother or sister or God. He's saying that this is the gift he's given you to fulfill the great joy that he has. We represent the goodness of God to one another, is what he's saying. And through that relationship, we're able to not only experience great joy, but we have the strength to spread it to those who so desperately need it. And for the sad. And so finally, that's why Charles Dickens. Anybody read the Christmas Carol this, this year? Okay, it's really short. Actually, we're reading it as a family right now. I didn't realize how short it was, but you can get it Barnes & Noble a little leaflet like this. Okay, it's great. Okay, but Charles Dickens actually said this. I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I'll honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. It's not just about celebrating Christ in a moment. It's about obeying his precepts as he's filled us with the great joy of his freedom all the year, reconciled to him and reconciled to one another. This is the meaning of Christmas in Jesus' name. Amen? All right, let's have our worship team come up and rejoice.